Hey, Mark, how are you doing? I am good, Adam. How are you? Yeah, perfect. Uh, really, uh, everything is uh, not working, but almost working. Lots of interesting projects. So um, uh, the only problem is time. So I don't know what's, <laughs> what's on your end, but uh, yeah. Endless problem, too many exciting things and not enough time. So we need the car from back to the future, right? So uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Work. Um, I um, I look at the um, AWS Lambda Power Tools once more uh, for Java, and um, and found some interesting um, interesting functionality which I actually used recently. Oh, and, fantastic! Uh, the first one, yeah. And uh, what's the interesting part is parameters because I did it by hand and it wasn't it wasn't as bad. And and you have a utility, so we should chat. Um, how it actually works. So um, what I needed is um, I wrote uh, a, uh, actually I wrote a proof of concept for the workshop and I did the same for my clients. All we did, we connected Lambda with Aurora, basically. And yeah. in order to connect a Lambda with Aurora, uh, you need the secrets and you can uh, pick the secrets from Secret Manager or Parameter Store, both is working. Um, so we did it in projects, but I had to rewrite everything for the workshop because of NDAs and stuff like that. Now, um, what I did is, um, so with CDK, you uh, you can create the secret. Then you can tell the secret that is okay. Lambda, this is grant read, I think. This is the method. So then Lambda is allowed to, to, to access the uh, system manager. We yeah. had to use the VPC. And then you have to create the endpoint for the secret manager. Otherwise, it, it won't work because Lambda has to be in VPC because Aurora is in the VPC. Yeah. And... Um, and on the Lambda part, I just used, I also remember the, you know, uh, um, secret manager client built uh, with URL connection client, which is my default and and, and and built, and this was one liner. And you wrote support for that. So, but my solution was already simple. So um, wh what what is your added value of, of the AWS Lambda power tool? Yeah, so I think I think a lot of people would, would do that. I don't think it's too complicated. I think the the added value comes in the the complexity of of the of when are you going to collect those secrets. So if you think about how Lambda is structured, and we 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 have this init init phase or initialization phase, which happens before any invoke, and then we have a series of invokes that happen. So as requests come into the system, it calls invoke. So you could fetch the secret in the initialization phase mm -hmm. and then never fetch the secret again. Mm -hmm. But over time, that secret might change. Mm -hmm. So it then becomes a, a question of, you know, do you want to call uh, and request the secret each invoke? So it's always up to date. Mm -hmm. Then that becomes a trade-off between staleness and um, uh, latency. Or you could... Um, you know, uh, fetch the secret and then and then cache it for a period of time. So all of these considerations kind of come together uh, and actually, you know, uh, are not particularly hard. We you know we've probably all written code like this before for for different pieces of functionality. But yeah, that's where we see uh, a bit of the value and just uh, caching and, and manipulating the requests and and just adding a bit of. Um, um, uniformity to, to working with these systems. Then this is added value for sure. So what I did um, for Quarkus, if you would like to use Hibernate, you can uh, use the uh, the environment entries. But in this particular case, uh, these are not environment entries. I, I had to fetch the secret. 
So um, what uh, what you can do is you can have, um, I think it's called authentication provider. It's a kind of a callback. And in this callback, which is application scoped, which means it is uh, called once per uh, per uh, per JVM instance and therefore per Lambda, uh, it was fetched once. It means if the secret would rotate, I would get an error. The uh, reasoning was because it's Lambda, it's not a big deal because uh, the I get an error, runtime error, and then the Lambda is going to be recreated. This was my you know poor way of dealing with it. And if the Lambda is recreated at the next request, the initialization happens again, there will be a yes. cold start, but uh, I would get a fresh secret. But um, yeah. and what you're doing, what I understood, uh, what I understood is that you are caching behind the scenes the secrets. So you can you can decide how long they are cached or, or when you decide wh when to when to refresh the secrets. So what's the reasoning behind it? Yeah, so the, there's a default setting uh, set for for when you use uh, power tools. And I think it's pretty aggressive, actually. I think the default is quite low. I think it's a, a number of seconds. Okay. Um, but obviously, you can you can change that to something that fits your your use case. Um, and then, yeah, it will it will just go fetch the secret again. So rotations probably don't happen that often, especially not for, for DynamoDB tables. But um, you know, you, you might think of some other uh, use cases. Of you know, we work with all sorts of different companies, and some of them are very security focused. Um, so they like to have short-lived secrets. Uh, yeah, not only that. I think uh, if you use parameter store, there are limits how many parameters per second you can actually fetch. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and the secret manager, I don't, I think it is the the the, um, the limits are higher than in the parameter store, but still uh, there are limits. So with your solution, uh, the lambda won't get throttled if I you know hit the limit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really a really good point to to make. Actually, whenever we're using services within AWS, you know, we we, we think of the cloud as this uh, you know ephemeral, uh, you know, unlimited uh, thing. But obviously, all of the services do have limits. Some have extraordinarily large limits that we never really uh, come come close to using. But it's always good to look at the services um, that you're thinking of using. Uh, and searching for the for the quota pages, which is the which is the limits, uh, and it'll be pretty clear on each page, you know, which which API calls have which uh, usage limits, and I think because of the style of programming can be quite different with Lambda. You can um, hit some of the limits if you accidentally call these requests as part of the handler function instead of part of the initialization or if you don't have some other strategy of, of considering you know when to make these calls so yeah you know if you have a very high throughput system and you have an external call as part of the handler method um you know you really want to be uh, looking at the, at the limits and what effect that has you know another one is uh, you know creating database connections if you create a, connect, a database connection for each handler method, you know what what consequences does that have to your relational database? Exactly, and we had actually the discussion uh, during yesterday's EHX Live workshop. So we had a discussion Dyno, DynamoDB versus relational databases, and they said, okay, uh, what they are thinking that what will happen to the attendees that um, AWS will. Uh, make you know the Aurora behave like DynamoDB, and uh, there was an interesting discussion. And, and my response to that was that I would say the magic or the secret sauce behind AWS or cloud is are actually the limits. So 
if you take a look at DynamoDB, right, uh, there is a clearly defined and one chart is like 10 gigs. As of I remember, you 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 cannot uh, read more on uh, on one batch than 100 kilobytes or whatever it is. Uh, I forgot, actually. Uh, and then you have to paginate. You can have a parallel scan, but you have to do them. And uh, you get throttled, but um, if you do too much. But with the throttling, uh, it is part of the API, so you can deal with throttling by retries, which is ugly first, but what it ensures is linear scalability. So if I have the limits, so I can actually scale endlessly because I have to deal with them. And what AWS is doing behind the scenes is, you know, it spreads the uh, hash key across shards. So I have, uh, this is linear, I would say, right? If, if, your, if your shard is not a hot chart, I would say, um, is this shard or partition? I always confuse them. I think it's shards in DynamoDB or partition. Uh, one, one, one of these, um, I think it's partition key that it has to be partition key. Yeah, partition yeah. key, exactly. Shard is uh, kinesis. So, uh, and the partition is Kafka. So everything is a little bit confusing with the same. So, um, <laughs> it's the same theory. Yeah. Very similar, right? So, and 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 if you take a look at relational databases, uh, they are limitless. There are no such limits. So it means it is really uh, you. If you you know hit the limit, your application will die, or the something bad happens, or you get timeout or whatever. And, and this is, I would say, in order to make SQL databases work like DynamoDB, you will have to reintroduce the limits, and then you will get something similar to, to, to DynamoDB because you get, you know, sharding um, uh, and you get, you know, the, the hard limits, what you can fetch. And, and this was interesting discussion yesterday. And, uh, and uh, this is maybe the case why relational databases are harder to operate because of the limits. Oh, yeah. Of lack of the limits, not of the limits, lack of the limits. And uh, DynamoDB can operate automatically because if they say, okay, if we need uh, another shard, they just install another you know, shard with 10 gigs and it happens automatically. But how to deal with that with the relational database? Because you can have one table without shards with billions of records and it has to sit somewhere. And this is, this is maybe the challenge, right? Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons people love DynamoDB is just the consistency. Uh, you know, you, you know, as your table scales, you're going to retain a very specific consistency. Mm -hmm. And I think the other the other thing that DynamoDB does really well is the the connectivity. You know, it works really well with Lambda because you don't have this you know this idea of a database connection. Oh, so, you know, if you are running uh, an RDS database with a Lambda workload, you've got you've got two options that can really help you in that. One of them is called the Data API. Which um, I don't think I see as much as the RDS proxy. So yeah. you can you can have another another resource uh, in your in your infrastructure which handles the uh, connection pooling to your RDS database, and then Lambda uh, gets to make a HTTP connection to that to that RDS yeah. proxy, and that's a really neat solution to uh, exhausting RDS database connections. For so this is now a, now broader discussion, but uh, yesterday I, I missed. A, a, a term. So uh, what I refer, there are some services, I would uh, see SQS, SNS, uh, Kinesis, S3, as, as proprietary native cloud services. It means AWS implemented them and you can uniformly access the services via REST APIs with now with the, all the hashing and all the mechanism. How to call them? I would like call it is actually it will be proprietary AWS managed services, <laughs> right? So and they are open source services which are not working that well. What I mean by that, pick any database you like. So Aurora is a, a really nice. Aurora V two is, but 
you get a binary connection to JDBC connection to the to the Aurora and AWS does nothing does not not know know nothing about that. It is like a side channel. So you have you know one uh, one uh, um, one API which you talk about the rest APIs and then you open the side channel. We had uh, yesterday also a discussion Kafka versus Kinesis. So I really like mm -hmm. Kafka. I, I had uh, workshops about Kafka and you know Kafka streams with Quarkus and but yeah. in the cloud I think differently. Even serverless Kafka. Um, What's the difference is um, if you start serverless Kafka with CDK, you can set up everything, but you get empty Kafka. If I set up Kinesis, I don't set up Kinesis. With one line, I just say, I need a Kinesis stream with the yeah, shards and I'm done. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and, 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 and I don't know how to call it, but uh, uh, there should be a name for services which are exclusively accessible via the REST APIs. And there are other services which has uh, additional APIs on on top of that, and to my and 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 my observation, just they are a, a little bit harder to handle to operate. Yeah, and yeah. They are so also less less secure, because yeah, on so yeah, DynamoDB you can have you know um, security settings per table. Because if you're calling this via REST, you can say you know um, I'm able to read from this table but not from the other one, for instance. Um, if you have, uh, let's say, Postgres like database or MySQL, then uh, you, you have to use, you know, the built-in uh, built-in uh, functionality from the database on top of IAM, what what uh, what uh, already AWS has. So, do you have a name for for this? How to call it? Cloud native managed services. What's the proper yeah. name? Yeah. So we would call them, uh, you know, managed services. So they are, you know. Uh, uh, managed stream if the Kafka is is Kafka managed. Uh, yeah, but you know, Kafka managed is not native because if even no. with serverless no. Kafka, you you don't you don't you cannot send a message to Kafka via REST. You no, will have to no. use the Kafka protocol. You know what I mean? This is this is the difference. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. Yeah, so so some of them are you know open source projects that we that we exactly. run, and then some of them are, are native cloud services. Yeah, so when you you know you're comparing uh, ActiveMQ and RabbitMQ to, to SQL, uh, sorry to uh, SQS, mm -hmm. you know that is a cloud native service that has been built with with exactly. cloud in mind. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the others are open source projects, which we can you know AWS will operate uh, you know a cluster for you for ActiveMQ or RabbitMQ. But yeah, 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 and that the uh, data API names for that though, yeah. Data API is interesting because what you get for uh, actually take a look at this. You could use Aurora, which is Postgres via REST. It has yes. nothing to do with JDBC, but it Absolutely. is it is usable. And uh, there's a nice hint: if you enable the Aurora Serverless Data API, you can use the query editor from the console, which is really nice because you get a SQL-like interface from the AWS console. So uh, I always enable this, and I play with it with. Uh, uh, for small projects, go for it because you don't have to think about connection pooling, RDS proxy. Yeah. But this is a REST interface, so this is proprietary interface, which is okay. I mean, uh, right? You cannot use Hibernate, but you can uh, directly access uh, via via REST. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. It's uh, it's great feedback. What I like is you know uniformity. So if if we have yeah. if we go to the cloud and the cloud offers you something, then just 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 stick with it. And uh, and and this is. The discussion was interesting. Kinesis versus Kafka. Is okay, uh, is Kafka better? It's like, no, Kinesis is not better. Kafka is not better. It's really it is how to yeah, how you operate that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And where you're coming from as well, you know, if you have a lot of experience, you know, running running Kafka, then that's fantastic. And you know, 
would love for you to run Kafka on AWS. Um, but if you know if you're in a team where you don't have experience running Kafka and you try and run Kafka, you know that's that's a, a big a big problem probably, and you would probably have a much easier life if if you use Kinesis. You know the the programming model is very similar. Um, you know the way of writing applications and, and you know, the thought process is very similar. So you you know if you are not experienced operating Kafka, you you probably have a much easier life if you use Kinesis. But even if you have experience operating Kafka, you can uh, you know uh, take the time and do something different with it, right? With, yeah, with absolutely. Yeah, this, absolutely. This, this, this is what I mean. And <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and to yeah. give you an experience, uh, to, uh, I run Kafka on my machines always because it's uh, yeah, because this is what we do outside the cloud. We we cannot just in install Kinesis, but in clouds. You have different possibilities, and let's say Kafka. If you install Kafka, you have two possibilities: you can run in a private subnet without authentication, or if it is public, you need the authentication. So, but uh, you know, to try something out to have a proof of concept, this is actually harder. And if you have Kinesis, you just say, "Give me the topic," and you and you, yeah. you go right. This is what yeah. I wanted to tell. So, uh, it is yeah. not like you should in the cloud. You have complete different possibilities. Absolutely. And, uh, so. Yeah. I remember it in you know when I was a customer uh, to AWS, and you know we were building systems uh, in our own data centers, and you know it would take us days if we were lucky to build a you know highly available cluster of a of RabbitMQ or ActiveMQ. You know I, I can I can <laughs> I can provision an SQS queue with you know all of the functionality and features and limits that it has. By just specifying the name of the queue exactly. uh, in a, some CVK code, the the productivity gain is just enormous. Yep. You know, I don't have to know how to operate SQS, which I just think is a, is mind blowing. Uh, I just get to use it straight away. So, yep. you know, I would definitely uh, you know push people to try some of the cloud native services. You know, SQS, Kinesis, SNS. Mm -hmm. I think I think you'll. You know, if you're used to using the open source, um, you know, similar functionality, I think you'll be pretty impressed with with how easy your life becomes. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, there's only yeah, there's the, the last uh, opinion or or, or uh, yeah, opinion about that. So yesterday also we had you know um, uh, chat about portability. So I said okay, uh, Kafka is portable, but Kinesis is not. It's like yeah, but uh, it's always another question: how much the portability costs you? So yeah. um, if I can send an you know um, a message or a create the stream uh, with one line of code, which is true in CDK. And by the way, it is true for SQS, Kinesis, and, and and SNS. All three are very similar. And even EventBridge, you can if you set the events to uh, EventBridge, which for I would say what can happen is in future that lots of SQS and um, and SNS uh, use cases are going to replace by EventBridge because it is uh, nicer to use. It is has a global endpoint and and for specific use business use case makes more sense from my perspective. What my observation is, and, yeah. Uh, so and, SNS and SQS has been used extensively for for fan out mm -hmm. uh, style patterns and and fan out and then back into uh, some sort of queue. Mm -hmm. uh, for for a number of readers, uh, yeah, that that pattern um, can be replaced and probably improved with EventBridge because you get much you get much stronger control over over the the filtering rules. So yeah, I would definitely you know if you're if you've built systems using you know fan out patterns either with cloud native services or, or without, I would definitely look at EventBridge for for replacing those and improving them.
And uh, and what uh, EventBridge also comes with is uh, SIS uh, third-party integrations. So some yes. of my clients are like, what do you can actually have? We can build, you know, because they, they're thinking how to sell the services. So, okay, what we could do, you can wrap whatever you have and, and become, you know, like uh, event uh, bridge uh, offering where uh, the other clients will just, you know, click on the, on, this is one possibility and another one would be, of course, on VPC endpoint. Um, but, um, yeah, so we had a chat about that. So um, if, if we run, write, you know, lean code, in one Java method, we can send him the message. So our our portability or you know dependency on AWS is is in this method. But if we set up Kubernetes inside Kubernetes Kafka operator, and uh, then we will spend, I would say, if we were really good, maybe three days just fiddling with Kubernetes, then it is not like this solution is going to be uh, more cost effective than you know an SQS topic. I don't believe it. So maybe in specific use cases there is, but not in general. There's not like in general Kubernetes is cheaper than native services. It is not, and 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 then um, and and then it's like business decision. You know, should we should we replicate whatever the cloud does with our open source solutions? So and 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 deal with them and patch them, or we say we write the very simple code. So uh, at, at best, no code at all. So, so very little business code, which everyone understands. Uh, yes, and then we are depending on the edges, you know, uh, on, yeah. uh, on, the, on the cloud services. Yeah, I can give a really uh, a story about, about this problem. So, uh, you know, at the beginning of my, my cloud experience, we were building a system, uh, a near real-time uh, sports, um, sports system, and you know we we were new to AWS, and there's a lot of choice, and there's a, a lot of decisions to be made, and we made the wrong choice. So we you know we went with uh, Kinesis on, on Lambda, and we didn't actually need the functionality that Kinesis provided, and um, we we ended up changing to SQS, and it took the engineer half a day to to make that change. So when I when I think about the, the that locking story. I think I would have been a lot slower to, to change if I was running in my own data center and I'd asked somebody yeah. <laughs> to build one cluster. You know, if I'd asked them to build a, a Kafka cluster and then the next day I, I said, actually, I need you to delete that Kafka cluster and what I need is a cluster of ActiveMQ. You know, I think that would have been more stressful <laughs> to my team and taken a lot longer than actually, you know, changing where the message is sent to. Yeah, so, and even if we would migrate to other cloud, um, even in this case, uh, they yeah. also have similar offerings. So there's basically topic uh, abstraction and and a queue abstraction, and you will yeah, find absolutely. another uh, provider which just the, your method will look differently. But I wouldn't even implement an interface; just a method, and I will just rewrite the method, and I'm done. This would be my approach for portable, cloud portability. If you really would like to to swap clouds or move back, you know, to on premise. Then even you know the method would would look from outside like a send message, and the payload is pr probably going to be JSON or string one 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 of them or even the Java objects, but then it has to be serialized to something different, and on premise would be maybe JMS again or something else, but it will be just different implementation of the implementation detail. Yeah, there's there's a fantastic blog article uh, by uh, actually on Martin Fowler's blog, but it's being written by uh, an AWS employee called Gregor Hope. Mm -hmm. And he goes through, you know, how he he thinks about and how he um, talks to customers about locking. And Greg Hopper, yeah, he wrote I, back then enterprise patents, right? 
Enterprise yes. software. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, the, you know, what are you losing by, by you know, not taking advantage of these things. Uh, so that's a really good um, blog to read if, if that's something that's coming up in discussions about about these topics or you know cloud migrations. Mm-hmm. I definitely have a read of that. It's not it's not particularly long. It's really interesting. I'm sure we can we can put a, a link in the um, in the recording notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course I, I will do it. Uh, thank you. And and Martin Fowler is always good because it's highly recognized blog. So yeah, you know, yeah, you can add, you know, it's like uh, if. The, the meeting get, gets too long, so my trick is always to point to Martin Fowler, so you can show him the discussion. So back to uh, Lambda Power Tools. Um, so there's an, a, another thing uh, which is new. It is called item potency. So um, yeah, we're I really also... excited about this module. This is yeah. um, probably the most sophisticated uh, piece of functionality that we've added to Power Tools. Yeah, um, and Power and Tools one, is one very... second description or two, ten seconds. Uh, what I understood. Tell me whether it's correct. So you are doing actually something interesting. So um, you are computing the parameter, uh, the hash of the parameters of a uh, of a function, and uh, if the hash is equal, you know that this already happened, and then you're not calling the, the function again. This is this is this uh, what uh, what I understood, which actually uh, is really nice because you know the the you 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 say okay if i get something from outside order regardless what's in the order if something is changed the hash is different so i will call the function but if it's identical order i can safely ignore it this was my my uh, understanding yeah absolutely so i item potency is one of those topics that you know sometimes people don't cover until it's an issue um, you know, some people are. But it was really always an issue in my project, wasn't it? <laughs> Before well, the, you're, you're a better architect than I am. So you know, in in the past, you know, I've uh, I've forgotten to implement item potency, and it's come up uh, and bitten me. But yeah, with, with cloud services, you know, if you're using SQS, there is no guarantee of of, of once delivery. So um, it's a, a large distributed system. Obviously, we always try and uh, you know operate uh, correctly. But there is also a chance of uh, more than once delivery, uh, and that's that's just one part of it, right? That's the that's the cloud offering. But also, you also need to consider that your client might might send the same request twice. So you know we're in a world of uh, poorly connected devices via you know via um, mobile links. You know if you have a connectivity issue after a request has been sent. And the client thinks that they haven't had a response and sends the same request again. You know that's an item potency problem. Refresh browser, we were... right? This is uh... <laughs> yeah, refresh browser. Yeah. yeah, credit card payment twice. You know, yeah. I now have two two pairs of red shoes instead of one, and that's exactly the the problem that we're looking to to address. So you know the 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 remit of of power tools is always to to help customers to implement best practices uh, as easily as possible mm-hmm. uh, and this is you know something that you know we could talk about for probably two or three hours about all the edge cases of item potency um and the implementation is is definitely non-trivial mm-hmm. um so so we've written uh, an implementation with which we think is pretty good you know there's probably some edge cases that we still haven't covered um, you know, obviously, if you're if you're really interested in item potency and you'd like to give us some feedback, then obviously we're always uh, happy to receive that. But I think there's some pretty cool functionality. You touched on a, on a, on on one part of it is that if you don't have um, an item potency key set, 
uh, as part of your request, um, we will uh, take the request uh, and hash that, and that will be the idempotency key. So if your if your client uh, hasn't thought about idempotency from the start, we will you know work with that and produce uh, a hash of the request. Um, now we've also thought about you know what happens if if there's like a date time or, or something that always changes as part of the request. So there's there's uh, ways of excluding you know chunks of the request, and we'll just hash the bits that are you know of interest. Uh, and then you know that that request is hashed and put into DynamoDB, um, and you know if we have a, a simultaneous request, uh, so you get two very fast requests. Then the first request will will make it into DynamoDB, and then a consistent read means that um, we effectively have a lock, so only one Lambda function will will process uh, at once, and the other will will return uh, an error for a retry. And then yeah, the Lambda function will will do its work, um, and um, the response will be saved into DynamoDB. So if any future requests come in with the same idempotency key. Uh, we'll just return the response straight from from Dynamo, and we won't invoke the Lambda function again. So you won't get uh, duplicate uh, actions. So, and you're using uh, AOP again to achieve that, right? Yes, absolutely. So you can put uh, at idempotent or uh, uh, on your uh, Lambda uh, handler function. Um, you can specify the key uh, by putting an annotation against the parameter uh, and adding some additional information. But it's all annotations. It's um, it's very easy to set up. Um, by default, we have an implementation using DynamoDB. But you know, if you have your own uh, storage system that you would like to use, maybe something like Elasticache or you know, some, some other system, you know, an RDS database, you can write your implementation against our interface and include that as your data storage layer. So we've tried to make it as uh, extensible as possible because we understand that people have different ways of working. So we've added our own implementation for Dynamo, but if you'd like to add your own, you know, the interface is there to implement. Um, but you could also use... Um... I'm just uh, thinking how this implemented. So you used um, also AOP to intercept the request handler call, or do I have to re to register your function as this uh, as a request handler function? Uh, no. So yeah, we we add an annotation to to your handler, so your handler doesn't even know anything's happening. But behind the scenes, okay. as soon as we see that something's happening, we grab the request, we inspect the request, and we we invoke the functionality to DynamoDB. Yeah. So, so what it means is um, you, uh, you you implemented an interceptor or a decorator who listens to the to the requests yeah. and then decides whether the actual lambda is called or not, which is basically a, a huge yeah. uh, opportunity for Quarkus or a Micronow to do the same, right? Because they they usually register in the synchronous and asynchronous. And actually, no, this is an asynchronous case. When this is a case for the funky framework from Quarkus, which is asynchronous. Because synchronous lambdas are not called by SQS. This is just the case for, for asynchronous lambdas and not for the HTTP API gateway lambdas. Maybe because the idempotency, um, this is one of the reasons why we need transactions. So if you have a transaction, so you could say, I don't need transactions. I could just, you know, do try and catch with uh, exception. And if something goes wrong, I do it again. And this is where the problem happens. Because if an exception happens, we don't know 
whether the exception happened after <laughs> the transaction was yeah. successful or yeah. it was the trans the unsuccessful transaction caused the uh, the exception. So uh, what can always happen in distributed system that the exception was caused by the network error um, after the transaction was successful. And this is one of the reasons why you need uh, idempotency. And uh, and uh, this is what I told you. We always had the problem. You had lots of discussions, transaction idempotency back then. And um, should we retry or not? And uh, even if you remember EJBs, the, there was a smart stop. It was like in a cluster. And uh, on, on exception, it automatically retried, you know, the uh, the, the methods uh, back then. This was this EJB smart stop. But... Um, but uh, you had to declare it as idempotent to to able to do that. Otherwise, you could have you know double orders in your system, so duplicates. So this was always concerned Java from day one, and this is really hard, almost impossible uh, to to achieve. You need like you know uh, distributed locks almost to achieve the same, which are slow and 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 not even you know always working to face commit. Yeah. So in the in the documentation for for Power Tools, you'll see the DynamoDB table that we. And the and the structure that we recommend, so you can you can put that into your infrastructure as code, and actually the same table can be used for multiple functions as well. So if you have multiple functions that are all uh, idempotent, um, the the DynamoDB table uh, acts as a like a multi-tenanted table. So you don't have to have you know one table per idempotent function. You can just reuse the same uh, table for all of your functions, which I think is again a nice simplification and reduces you know, the cognitive load of, of developers. Mm -hmm. And um, but it's a little bit more expensive because you need the transactional reads, I think, and even writes, so which are twice as expensive as the usual one, but this is how it is. But uh, yeah. yeah, so you're, uh, you're, yeah. you're trading off uh, yeah. additional costs for, for safety. And, and, you but know. it's always the case. You no, know, FIFA queues are also more expensive than the usual ones. So this is always, uh, and not only expensive from the money perspective, they are also Transactions are always expensive from the uh, computing perspective as well, compute and storage. So this is like it is. This way. Yeah, uh, and you know, even with a with an SQS uh, FIFO queue, you know, you can still have problems that require item potency. So if the client has uh, has sent the same request <laughs> twice, it doesn't yeah. matter if it's a first in first out right or you yeah. know if they've made a mistake. So I would still. You know, if I'm if I'm designing systems now, uh, it's just something that you know is always part of my uh, design process. Mm -hmm. What I also think is that the SQS doesn't have the bisect functionality, right? You're you're aware of the bisect? Uh, bisect on error? Uh, yeah. Is it available yeah, for I SQS? Think, uh, just for I kinesis, has, I think, right? No, I think it has been added. There, there have been some changes on on error handling on SQS, so you can do. Uh, partial batch failures and, and just specify uh, the failures. And that was something that was quite popular in Power Tools, mm -hmm. um, which has um, uh, so so in Power Tools we used to have, or we we still do have a functionality to help people handle partial batch failures um, and to handle them maybe a bit easier. But that has now been handled uh, by the by the service itself. So the service itself actually handles uh, partial batch failures. So if you send a response in a in a certain format, um, it will handle just the specific um, ones that you've um, processed, and it will delete those 
and then it will reprocess the ones that you haven't handled and want to retry. So that was an addition that was added to the, to the SQS service after we made a Power Tools module to do that functionality. Okay, but my understanding is basically is, uh, if you have a batch of 10 and in the middle there is uh, like a broken record. Yeah. What uh, BISEC will do will automatically reply and try to find, you know, it will try to process everything. So there's actually the contrary to idempotency because you get everything uh, multiple times until you find, yes. you know, the broken records. Uh -huh. I, I, I probably just wouldn't take that approach. I think that's just a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. I would I would go with the uh, partial batch failure and I would mm -hmm. just, I had a batch of 10, you know, I know which ones are successful and uh, which ones are failures. You put the failures into a list, um, or you put the successes into a list, sorry, and you return that list, and it will it will delete those from from the queue. Yeah, this is easier. Them. This is like you know the yeah, next iteration of bisect, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the bisect isn't functionality that I would use unless I had some specific reason. And and what you refer to is the SQS uh, batch processing, right? From the functionality, what you said. That yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now it is still usable, or should we use the uh, SQS built-in functionality? I can't remember if there's any functionality that we have that isn't in the service, so I'd have to, I'd have to get that. back to you on that. Um, this will be the, the first service in in the history of AWS where you have to deprecate something, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was it was nice to see that you know. Um, Functionality that came from from community and you know customer uh, customer feedback, you know we produce that into power tools, and then you know I can't say that one influenced the other, but um, it was nice to see that that improvement was made to the service. So, but uh, did the service use some code, or you know about that, or no? <laughs> I I don't know, probably not. Um, okay. Uh, because obviously ours is a, a client side library, but you know if if we influence them at all, that would be nice. But I, I don't know if that's the case. You didn't dot uh, got any cookies, nothing, right? So <laughs> <laughs> no, no cookies, no cookies. Um, yeah, we had a brief chat about uh, SQS large message message handling already, and uh, yeah. this is uh, similar. So if the message has uh, too large. Um, size for sqs you are offloading this i think again to no s3 this time or uh dynamo to be uh s3 yeah s3, so uh -huh. same same again as we've been talking about so there is a there's a limit to the to the amount of, of data that you can add to an sqs message uh, and that again is is the you know safeguard the, the the service and you know as the topics that we've already covered so uh, I, you know, I work with a lot of customers who who get messages from third parties, and the third parties cannot guarantee um, that a message will be under a certain size. Mm -hmm. So people get really worried. You know, what happens if I if I hit the limit? You know, it's going to cause an error, and that that is the case. So what SQS uh, large message handling does. Is uh, it, it backs off all of the all that message data to S3, and effectively sends a pointer to that to that bucket and key uh, in the message instead, so that you are you are guaranteed that you'll never hit the message uh, limit for SQS messages, mm -hmm. and it's even intelligent enough actually to to you know measure the size of the message. So if it is under the message limit, it you know, you can configure it just to include it in the SQS message. And if it is larger, include it into S3 or, or any combination of that. So 
it just helps people, you know, working with systems where they're less in control um, to still use uh, cloud native services, which I think is a really nice, um, a nice hybrid. S3 in this particular case is interesting because I assume you are just writing new stuff to S3 and this is as transactional, right? Because you are doing a put to S3 and because you always write new messages, S3 has a consistent read. So basically it's transactional, uh, which is a nice use of S3 because it's cheaper and and uh, than DynamoDB in this particular case. Yeah, and the, and the same same thing again, you know, S, S3 and DynamoDB have their own limits. Yeah. With S3, you can store very large files. Yeah. So, um, you know, I have seen people store, you know, very, very large files, okay. you know, gig, gigabytes. Okay. Um, so, you know, that wouldn't be something that you want to do for Dynamo. You know, that is a very rare case, but, you know, sometimes that does come up, um, you know, much, much more likely that they are around the message limit, but they just can't be, can't be guaranteed. Uh-huh. So, yeah, Dynamo, Dynamo, Dynamo DB would be an option, but. S3 is a nice, safe one. Um, now, switch the gears a bit. So I took a look at the uh, parameters again. And what I what I see is the code looks like SSM provider, SSM provider equals, which could be Java 11 syntax, so var. So equals para manager get SSM provider. So um, it looks like, you know, saram uh, param, param, param manager dot get SSM provider is what you have to implement. What I'm missing here is at inject SSM provider, SSM provider without the you know, get SSM provider, which is ugly. So um, Java 17, Java 18, and whatever, we get uh, future Java versions. So it would be really nice to have at inject first. Um, why would it be nice? For instance, in Lambda right now, uh, if you access backend services, let's say you're using SSM manager, right? Uh, what you usually will get uh, an, an error the very first time. There are too many implementations of the HTTP client decide for one, right? So this is this is the classic one. So I already know it. So uh, my code looks like SSM manager dot build, I think, and I pass the implementation. I'm done, but it's not ni- not nice. And this is of course how it's called undifferentiated heavy lifting, right? So we, we should <laughs> yeah. we should we should hide for sure. So um, what I'm wondering so. Um, at inject is everywhere. So we have at inject is Maven, Eclipse, uh, Spring, Micronode, Quarkus, everyone supports at inject. So um, we have to make dependency injection work in Lambda. So what we will solve first? First, your Lambda code was going to be easier, which you could easily do with your AOP. But uh, in Lambda, it could be even more interesting because then I could just inject to know I could say uh, I could have a small property file or even a Lambda environment, Lambda environment, and say um, I, I would like to have the URL connection handling, which is fine, and then just inject the thing. Done. In test, I could inject a mock. Done. So right, uh, right. So okay. w- w- what 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 I have to say is we really need dependency injection inside the Lambda, and uh, because you already have the experience with the um, AOP. And uh, and uh, and the runtime invokes a handler. So I mean, we have the you know the 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 layer between. Um, it is absolutely trivial to implement dependency injection. So I would say, this, uh, in my opinion, it should be the priority number one to implement that because it opens you know the doors to for extensibility. It the code is nicer uh, and uh, and um, even I. Maybe I spent one hour in total because I always forget about you know the HTTP client choices. 
so um, which <laughs> make, makes me angry. So really, so and 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 so another question to you: yeah, so, I, when we get dependency injection, <laughs> I think I think the yeah, if you use mul multiple languages in Lambda, the experience is very similar, and often the language. Um, the ways of working in each language are sometimes uh, uh, not not used to their greatest benefit. So yeah, you know the the, the Java interface for for Lambda looks very similar to to other languages, and we we don't really maybe follow some of the the typical ways of working with each of the of each of the languages. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting that you that you've brought up. You know why can't we inject you know common Common things into into the lambda functions. I think that's really interesting, really powerful. Um, so I'd love to, you know, if if you're listening to this podcast and you think that that's that's an interesting uh, proposition, you know, uh, please send me a message on on Twitter. You know, what sort of things would you like uh, to be injected into into lambda functions? Mm -hmm. You know, it, you know, just as you were talking, I was thinking, oh, you know, I could inject my my uh, RDS database password. You know, maybe I could yeah. have you know, inject secret uh, and the reference uh, to the secret somehow. That would be really interesting, actually. Um, yeah, that would that would go a lot further um, and it'd be yeah a whole heap uh, simpler and yeah probably aid testing quite a lot as well. That's, I implemented uh, my head right now. What, what I'm doing is, uh, for instance, um, if you have Corcos um, and the um, uh, uh, S3 uh, S3 client. So um, we are exposing the uh, S3 client and then inject it again, um, which uh, makes it more consistent. But this only works in the if you are using Quarkus or Micronode. So if you have the yeah. asynchronous Lambda, I, I, I don't like to introduce my own library in order to do that. So I could do this, but this is, this is I would say, then I would just you know, go with this straight code with get static. And um, yeah, secrets, whatever's in the environment. You know, the entire hash map of environment is injectable. So I can say, you can yeah. say, you know, add a string name and then add inject and, and just the, 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 the property. Then a logger, a classic one, you know, uh, yeah, add inject logger and you can inject async logger or sync logger with a qualifier. And, um, and very, very simple. And by the way, logger, I wanted to ping you because you have an interesting project on your account, uh, JSON logging. I always wanted to give you a feedback. I always forgot about that. And this is sounds really usable, and uh, because what I really like to have is in JSON logging my own fields. So what is what is the what is actually the, the the purpose of that? If I have JSON logging, I don't like to have you know the Quarkus logging just my business logs, just what I let's say key value, just key value. Why? Because then I can go to CloudWatch, a uh, thing called Insights, um, and then I have the nice, you know, the JSON query, and then I can uh, search for the query. So, and and it is trivial to implement, and you did the first step. So, the, the question now to you, when your personal, I don't know, the toy project, the JSON logging, are becoming to be the official Lambda Power Tools project? <laughs> so, it did. Yeah, so it, that, that is exactly what happened. Uh, so you can use Power Tools logging. That is a structured logger, and it will automatically include um, information from your Lambda context as, as parameters into that JSON logging. And you can also add your own parameters. So you know, a classic example might be that you're you're logging a message about your application, but you're also including the customer ID or the business use uh, business unit or you know some sort of uh, correlation ID. 
um, so that you can correlate logs between systems. Yeah, I took so, a yeah. look at this. The problem, what I didn't like, is the log4j XML. Uh, yeah. And, so, and uh, it was... So I, I think there's a different approach. What was on your on your GitHub account, it was just the possibility to create my own stuff. So what I actually need is no, no lambdas. I, I would like to have a logger and say, and just key value, you know? I say... Uh, oh, okay. Very, so, very simple. And then just react yeah. to it. What you did, this is more powerful. So it already ships oh. with the full uh, Lambda integration. And this is harder to set up. I like to have like the well, system. Well, maybe, maybe I'll publish it to uh, Maven Central then. Yeah, or uh, I will steal from your account and maybe, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. just, yeah. just, just add some of my st stuff. But um, for instance, what I um, already did in projects um, with Java 17, so we use your Java 17 Lambda layer, which works great, by the way. And uh, then we have Java 17. And then uh, is problem almost solved because you can use a multi-line string to generate JSON on demand, right? So we have just a very simple logger, then the JSON string key value, and, and it's done. So this is and this is what I need. And, wow, uh, that's cool. Yeah, this was uh, this was my way of doing this. And But your approach was similar. And if this doesn't work, my next approach would be we, all, we, see, we have JSONP. And the JSONP yeah. looks like JSON create object builder add. So with one line, I can add, you know, key value pairs. And this is what I'm logging. So what I only need is, you know, or or I already thought, you know, to pass a map. Because what Lambda does, it already understands if I declare map as parameter. And this is compatible JSON, flat JSON, it will uh, map the JSON to map. So uh, what uh, the best experience would be, Lambda.log map of key value done this is what i would like to have this would be the best you know addition ever you know what i mean just map <laughs> of then then message and then duke and then i go to lambda insights and ask no how many dukes you saw the last hour this yeah, is the, yeah. yeah and i, I wanted yeah, to so implement several times i wanted to ping you know with your logging framework and say okay um maybe it is in the power tools but in power, power tools too much so you can combine okay. with, yeah. know, with Lambda context. This is like, this, you have almost like uh, your own fr uh, logging framework. <laughs> yeah, so when when we started building this out, we, we surveyed uh, customers mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, mm -hmm. tweeted a lot about this on, on Twitter. Um, and the most popular um, uh, method of logging was Log4j. It's mm -hmm. what people were familiar mm -hmm. with. So we wanted a... You know, easy way to onboard with our with our functionality. So that that was the approach that we've taken. Mm -hmm. But I can definitely see the advantages of of, of going even more minimal. Um, so I, you know, I have heard that feedback before. So that would be interesting. And and the way that we the way that we uh, decide on on the on the movements within the project is with uh, requests for comments or. Um, sure. So you can you can go to our uh, GitHub repository. Uh, raise an issue, raise an RFC, and and start talking about the, the changes that you would like to make and, and the direction that you'd like to see us traveling. And we would, you know, love to hear hear that sort of feedback because you know that we're we're just interested in, in making this experience as, as good as possible. Okay. Um, so yeah, definitely, you know, and this specific thing, Adam, I'd love to I'd love to see you write this up and uh, I'd love to discuss it with the with the team internally. Okay. Speaking on RFC on issues, uh, where I can create an issue to have add inject support in Java 17? 
so I would go. Oh, I'll, I'll I'll send you a link. But there's okay. a uh, there's a GitHub repository which includes all of the Java core lang mm -hmm. core libraries for mm -hmm. Lambda, mm -hmm. which is called uh, Lambda Libs. Okay. Um, and that's in the AWS Labs uh, okay, organization. Okay, because uh, yeah. it, uh, I really uh, uh, we have to do it. <laughs> there's no area. Cool. Yeah. Um, yep. So that, that that the code that runs the the managed runtime is all open source. Um, you know, people can write pull requests against it. Uh, I would obviously uh, you know write an issue first and, yeah, and yeah. collaborate with the Lambda team before you go into a lot of effort. But yeah, we would love to collaborate with the open source community and and hear your feedback. Okay. Thank you. Anything to add? So we had a, a as always a chaotic discussion, which I really enjoyed. Right. So, <laughs> yes. but yeah. Uh, no preparation. This is how it is. But um, I also uh, learned a lot. So, um, anything else to add? No, that's fantastic. You know, it's been it's been uh, wonderful. It's always insightful talking to you, Adam, and the way you way you think about Lambda. So, yeah, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll have a, another conversation in the future. Yeah, for sure. So uh, you know your your uh, power power tools Lambda project is growing. So uh, there's always something to talk and and always stand amount of detail this is like a team of perfectionists as so, uh, if you look at the java docs i i, I thought uh, not java docs the documentation so um to today i thought okay they spent just you know maybe a week just to do documenting this you know this is a, a huge amount of work and it looks clean and nice and yeah cool oh, that's great you know you know we are you know trying to do our best and you know we appreciate the documentation is really important we're all you know programmers who have used uh, you know these sort of systems before and libraries before, so we, we really try and uh, make them as best as possible. So that's that's great feedback. Thank you. And it should be re renamed to expert tools because uh, it is a power tool, but um, you really need it if you need it. You know, this is like uh, <laughs> this is like uh, you can ignore it for first, and then if you if you have the problem, then you have to pick Lambda Power Tools or come with similar solution. So you cannot just you know ignore it completely, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Perfect. Where people can find you on the internet. Yeah, so the best place to get hold of me is on Twitter. So I am MarkSales3 uh, on Twitter. Um, hopefully, uh, Adam will add a link to my profile. I love in interacting with people and, and hearing pe what people are up to. You know, I'm really interested in Mark, um, Micronaut, Quarkus, uh, Spring Native, you know, what people are doing on, on Java and the new ways of using Java on Lambda. Really interested in that. Um, so, yeah, uh, message me on Twitter. Yeah, thank you. See you next time. Or Bye. see you next time. <laughs>